Well, good morning, everyone. How's everybody doing this morning? Okay? All right. Well, I know some folks are settling in here and downstairs. Just want to welcome you to to South Coast Church. Uh, A few announcements this morning. Um, Next Sunday, we'll be going back to the 1030 time. So next Sunday, November 1st, we'll be at 1030. Uh, We'll put it on Facebook. We'll send an email. Still, people won't remember, but we're going to do our best, right? 1030. Um, And then the other uh, folks that we share this space with, they're going to begin meeting. We're not sure exactly when, but we just want to be especially cautious and uh, careful with the masks and the sanitizing and not congregating in the front area there, especially as as there's more traffic. We want to be respectful. A lot of older folks, uh, and so we want to just really make sure that we're careful with that. Um, Angel Tree, you'll hear more about it next Sunday, but we have an opportunity to come alongside and purchase Christmas gifts for the men at Teen Challenge for their children. The men who are in the Teen Challenge program, we have an opportunity to buy Christmas gifts for their kids, an opportunity to really bless the guys, bless the kids, and so we'll have ornaments with more details to follow. Uh, We've done this for years and years with different ministries to, to bless children, and so you'll be hearing more about that. Uh, as well. Um, let's see. With that, I want to transition. Uh, seed, Friday we'll, f- we'll be doing a Facebook Live uh, worship night starting at 6 p.m. online on their page. And so you can uh, uh, take a look for that. Uh, live Christian music worship night. I think we could all use that, right? And so I would encourage you to uh, connect with that. And then finally, we have uh, some things we want to pray for um, as we begin the service. Uh, Some of you know that Kathy Hanneran passed Friday morning, right? Friday morning. It's just sweet, sweet lady, right? And uh, John, just a a dear man of God, and we love him, and uh, we're praying for him and for the family. And, uh, and, you know, she was unwell for a while and and, and suffering, and so... Uh, we know she's home with the Lord, but we want to keep them in prayer specifically now. Uh, also, Elaine is going to be having some um, some testing. We want to keep her in prayer, right, Jimmy? Some testing coming up. Uh, and, and Sheila Martin as well is also going to be having some testing. And so they have some health issues, some health challenges that we're aware of. And so we want to make sure we keep them in prayer. So as we, uh, as we just uh, pray together, as we gather, let's just... Take a deep breath. Let's just be present. Let's ask the Lord to settle us, to remove the distractions, the things we have to do, the things we didn't do, to remove yesterday and tomorrow and help us to be present here with Him. And so, Lord, we gather together. Father, we love you. We gather together to be ministered to by your presence, by your word and spirit. And Father, you, you know the needs this morning, you know the health struggles, you know the loss, the grief, you know the addiction, the brokenness, you know the struggles here in this place. And Father, for those we mentioned and for those unmentioned but that are on the hearts of each of us, Father, we bring our prayers to you and we trust that you're good, that you're sovereign, that you're in control, that you'll give us peace and wisdom. So, Lord, we come here expecting you to guide your people this morning. We're present. We're hungry and thirsty for your presence. Lord, change us from the inside out. 
God, we love you. Have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, the title of the message this morning is to love is to trust and obey. To love is to trust and obey. The Lord brings everything together, and so this morning we're going to be talking about trust. We're going to expand a bit on where we left off last week, looking at Achan and his sin, or ultimately his lack of of trust in God. And, you know, right now we have a health crisis. We have political turmoil. We have racial issues. We have economic struggles. And those things are very real. Right? They, they impact us. They affect us deeply. And so there's never a better time to begin trusting God than right now. Because we always, you know, we, everybody likes the idea we want to trust God. But then when things are rocky, when nothing looks like we think it's supposed to look, and God says, are you trusting me now? And so I pray that this morning that each of us can begin and ask God to show us, Lord, show me this morning where I may not be trusting you. See, bad times are not unique, nor are they unprecedented. I read this the other day to put things in perspective. Imagine you were born in 1900. When you're 14, World War I begins. It ends when you're 18 with 22 million dead. Soon after a global pandemic, the Spanish flu appears, killing 50 million people. You are 20 years old. When you're 29, you survive the global economic crisis known as the Great Depression, an unprecedented economic collapse that began with the collapse of the New York Stock Exchange, causing inflation, unemployment, and great famine. When you're 33, the Nazis come to power. When you're 39, World War II begins. It ends when you're 45 years old. 60 million dead. In the Holocaust, 6 million Jews die. When you're 52, the Korean War begins. When you're 64, the Vietnam War begins. It ends when you're 75 years old. Certainly puts things in perspective doesn't it? And look, things are tough, and and don't misunderstand me, because if you're struggling, I'm not trying to minimize the struggle. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to say, people of God, let's have perspective, and let's use our circumstance like the saints of old did to trust God and to increase our faith to trust God and increase our faith over and over because that's the cycle. As we trust Him, our faith increases so we can trust Him more so our faith can increase. That's what this journey is about. See, today we have all the comforts in a new world. We have internet classrooms. We have the ability to buy things and have them delivered. And then we complain about the little things. We complain that we have to stay home more than we'd like where we have food, electricity, running water, Wi-Fi, Netflix. And some people have never had those things. 
Some people have never known security or comfort or the feeling of being full after a meal. Humanity has survived horrible circumstances. But here's the thing. I I don't want to just survive. I don't want to just exist. I don't want to just get through a day. There was a lot of my life, and I don't know about you, but there was a lot of my life where it was just about getting through the next whatever it was. No, I want to live joyfully. I want to live fully. I want to minister where and when God has me. You don't get to choose your context, I mean, to some degree, but you don't get to choose the time and place the Lord has you, the people he sends to you. See, here's the thing. God's still in control. And we can live each day trusting not ultimately in ourselves, not ultimately in our government, but ultimately in Christ. In John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled. Let them not be afraid. Those are Jesus' words to us that transcend time and place. There's never a time where that's not his words to you and I. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be afraid. I'm not giving you peace like the world gives you. Don't misunderstand the great gift of the peace of Christ in your life. Don't minimize that. And here's a promise, Psalm 50, 15. And call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. See, when we place our trust and hope in the Lord, he comes through and then we can testify about Jesus. And so this morning, I believe the Lord is asking each of us, do you trust me? Because we may feel uncertain right now, but Jesus is never uncertain. Amen? And so we're going to look at life as a series of spiritual tests, at what it looks like to live out the spiritual tests. We're going to be looking at the impact in our own lives of this obedience, of this trust, and in our evangelism when we embrace and live this out. When we trust in him, when we pass the test. And as believers, one of the things we do with infants is to acknowledge that they are a gift from God and we dedicate them to the Lord. And so we're going to have the great blessing this morning to begin our service with a great opportunity as a church family. We're going to have uh, the Batari's and family come up. We're going to have Pastor Jamie come up. And what a, great, what a great testimony to what it means to trust and obey. It means that as believers that we acknowledge that, hey, babies, they're a gift from God. They're a blessing to us. And so we're going to dedicate these, these infants, we're going to dedicate these children back to the Lord. The first in a step of hopefully a lifetime of, of obedience and dedication. Talk loud. Yeah, I'm gonna talk loud. I think I can grab the mic. 
Everybody can hear me, right? I got a pretty big mouth. So, um, welcome everybody and good morning. And uh, just before I get started, I just want to say, so this is the first time I've done funerals, weddings, you name it. Been doing this for like ten years or so. This is the first time I get to do a dedication, and it's with people I love deeply. That's service. And, uh, and, and so this is a very personal one for me. Uh, we spent a lot of time praying for this little girl here um, over the years. And uh, you guys have been a big part of my journey. And if anybody knows the, our pasts, uh, this is very sentimental for me personally. So as Pastor said, at, at South Coast, we dedicate babies. Uh, we baptize those who have made a conscious confession of faith. Both, but both dedication and baptism are symbolic. They both represent commitments. See, baptism is an individual commitment, while a dedication is a commitment by the parents, as well as us, the body, to live for Jesus and to set an example for the child being dedicated in hopes that one day she'll commit herself to doing the same. God delights in his children. He takes great pleasure in them. They are one of the greatest gifts that he gives to us. Psalm 127.3 says, Sons are a heritage from the Lord, and children are a reward from Him. And because children are a gift from God, it is natural that Christian parents present and dedicate their child to God. In the Gospels, we read that people brought their little children and babies to Jesus so that He might place His hands on them and pray for them. In the same way, Mike and Jess stand before us today, first presenting themselves and then their daughter Lennox to the Lord. Mike and Jess... I call your attention to the commands of God recorded in Holy Scripture. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 7 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. The best thing moms and dads can teach their children is fear of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7 says, the begin this is the beginning of all knowledge. So the church urges you, Mike and Jess, to love God with every ounce and fiber of your being and to teach Lennox to do the same. He's paying attention. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> As you love God... As you love God and one another, you will model before Lennox the will of God and a wonderful love <laughs> that she will hopefully want for herself. That's great. Lenny, just so you know, <laughs> we prayed long and hard for you, little girl. You are truly an answered prayer, a living miracle and reminder that God hears the petition and the cries of his people. A little emotional there for a minute. Mike and Jess, as you stand before God and his people today, do you hereby declare your desire to dedicate yourselves and your daughter Lennox to the Lord? Having come freely, I ask now that you enter into the following commitment in the presence of God and his church. So that Lennox may walk in the abundant life that Christ offers, do you, Mike and Jess, vow by God's help and in partnership with the church to provide Lennox a Christian home of love and peace, 
to raise her in truth of our Lord, in the truth of our Lord's instruction and discipline, and to encourage her to one day to trust Jesus Christ as her Savior and Lord. Church, do you vow by God's help to pray for and encourage Mike and Jess in their effort to raise Lennox in the fear of the Lord so that she might receive our Lord's guidance and instruction? This is well-oiled, I'll tell you what. Please, church, bow your heads and extend your hand to Lennox and her family as we pray. Lord God, we ask your blessing and your favor on your little child, Lennox, today. We thank you for this beautiful little girl's life. And we thank you for answering the prayers of Mike, Jess, and many others who locked arms with them as they asked you to bless them with a child. We thank you that her parents love you and love her and seek that Lennox may also learn to love you as they do. We ask that you watch over Lennox and be with her each day of her life. We pray that she grows each day in her knowledge and understanding of you (laughs) and your will for her life. As Mike and Jess have publicly acknowledged that Lennox is a gift from you, and as they have also expressed their desire to be godly examples through their love for you and by cherishing Lennox every moment of her life, we pray that you be with them and guide them every step of the way. We also ask that you be with their family as they support, encourage, and even assist in raising Lennox. Lord, as we present this family and this child to you today, we ask that you bless them and keep them, shine your face upon them, and be gracious to them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lennox Louise Batari. Awesome. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up now if we could all stand. I think it might be the monitor I'm off. Um, <laughs> so uh, this morning, um, we're going to sing um, some songs about our surrender to our God, um, our trust in Him, uh, that He will hold back no good thing. Amen. Standing at a distance 
shadows of your shame well, There's a light of hope that's shining Won't you come and take your place Psalm 84:11 says, "For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He, sorry, <laughs> no good thing will He withhold from them that walk uprightly. We can trust in our God. We can know that He has His perfect plan in place for our lives. And that's what this song sings. It says." Who have I in heaven but you? And on earth there is nothing that I desire but you. My heart and my flesh may fail, but my God, you're the strength of my heart and my portion forever. It's saying that he has the best for us. Let us trust that he has the best for us. 
let our heart's desires be what his heart's desire, amen. Holiness. 
Giving you my heart and all that is within. I lay it all down for the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dreams. I'm laying down my rights. I'm giving up my pride for the promise of new life. And I surrender all to you, all to you. And I surrender all to you. Surrender all to you. 
Philippians 3, verses 8 and 9. It says, What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. and then sharing it with all of his creatures. And he appoints Adam and Eve to rule it on his behalf. And God gives them access to his wisdom and life, but then tells them that there's one tree they can't eat from because it will lead to death. So they have a choice about how to rule with God. This kind of feels like a test. Well, that's because it is a test. But isn't that kind of cruel for God to test them? Well, not all tests are bad. Let's say there's a king who chooses you to fulfill a royal task because he wants to know if you are trustworthy. Well, I guess that's a test, but really it's an opportunity to do something important and noble. Right, but then let's say there's a rebel who hates the king and you, and he tries to convince you that you would be better off not doing what the king asks. Well, the rebel is setting a trap. Right, so a test could be an opportunity or a trap. And the difference is whether the one testing you has your best interests in mind. I see. And both types of tests appear in the beginning of the Bible. God tells them to eat of the tree of life and not the forbidden tree. Yeah, this is God's test of loyalty. God wants to rule the world with humans as his partners, which means they will need to trust his wisdom over their own. But then a rebel comes and tests them to eat of that other tree. Right, the rebel seizes this opportunity and twists it so he can lead the humans into exile and ultimately death. He turns the test into a trap. But after the humans fail, God promises that one day a human will come who will pass the test and defeat the snake. And as the story moves on, 
God gives a couple named Abraham and Sarah an opportunity to trust him by leaving their family behind to go to a new land where God will use them to restore his blessing to all people. So this is a test. And at first, things go well. But Abraham quickly fails. He lies to protect himself, and then he and Sarah scheme to get a son their own way by abusing one of their servants. Definitely not passing the test. But God doesn't give up on Abraham. He gives him one final opportunity, a test to prove his loyalty. God asks Abraham to go up onto a hill and offer his son as a sacrifice. I can't imagine a more intense test. And Abraham does it. But in the last moment, God stops him and provides a substitute animal in the place of his son. God then says he will fulfill his promise through Abraham's family because he passed this test. So Abraham passed this test, but he hasn't proven to be a fully trustworthy partner. We're still waiting for someone who can pass the ultimate test. Yeah, and as the family of Abraham grows and becomes a nation, God continues to test them. Like when the Israelites wander in the wilderness for 40 years. They have lots of opportunities to trust in God, to provide water or daily bread. But they instead blame God and even say that he trapped them in the desert to kill them. And so the rest of Israel's story in the Hebrew scriptures is pretty much the same. The Israelites don't trust in God and his promise. They're not loyal. And eventually the whole nation fails. So humans have an amazing opportunity to partner with God, but no one is really qualified. And so all of this brings us forward to Jesus. There's a story where Jesus goes into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights without food or water. Ah, yes, the wilderness. And there he meets a sinister creature who tries to trap him. But Jesus trusts in God's wisdom. And he passes the test. Then later there's a story about Jesus going to pray with some friends and God commissions him to go up to Jerusalem and to give up his life. And so he goes. And on the night of his arrest, Jesus took his friends and went to a garden. And he told them to pray because tonight, he said, is the great test. And he prayed to God, please let this test pass from me, but not my desire, rather may your desire be done. In this garden, Jesus shows us what passing the test looks like. He trusted in God's wisdom. He loved others more than himself, and he confronted evil with good. Even though it cost him his life. Right. Jesus offered his own life as a sacrifice to cover for all of the failed tests of his people Israel and of all humanity. Jesus passed the ultimate test on behalf of us all. This is amazing, but that doesn't mean everything is gonna be great in our lives. I mean, let's be honest, we're gonna face our own tests every day. Right, Jesus said every generation of his followers would have their own tests that will force them to trust God in radical new ways. And these tests can be difficult and often painful. But remember, a test from a good God is an opportunity. This is why James, a leader in the early Jesus movement, said that we should be grateful when we face tests and trials because they offer us a gift. It's an opportunity to surrender to God's wisdom and to become more like Jesus, the one who loved us and who passed the test on our behalf.
every generation will have their opportunity to put their trust in the Lord. Every struggle, every difficulty, every trial is an opportunity to embrace the presence of God and to be changed by Him in the midst of it. And so this morning, if I started and I said, hey, I want to talk to you this morning about loving God, then I suspect you'd probably go, oh, this is going to be a good sermon, Pastor Brian. We're going to talk about loving God. Because if you're like me, you probably think, well, I do fairly well at loving God. If I were to ask you the question, do you love God, you probably without hesitation would say, of course I love God. A lot of people think that, though, don't they? You ever hear of, of not, not anybody, of course, in this church, but these people out there I hear about, I don't know if you guys know, the people out there, right? Not anybody watching online either. You're all exempt. But a lot of people, they say things about somebody and they go, well, he loves the Lord, but he just, you know, sleeps around with, with women all the time. Or they say, well, you know, she loves the Lord. She just, you know, she just lies all the time. You can't trust her. I mean, she's just a liar, but she loves the Lord. Or they say, well, he loves the Lord. He just, you know, he, he gets drunk all the time. He's, you know, going to drink him problem. But he loves the Lord. Or people say, that guy, he's the most dishonest businessman. I mean, he's been part of my church for 50 years. This guy, you, you can't trust him at all. But he loves the Lord. You ever hear people talk like that? As though you can say you love the Lord like you say you, you know. But I don't think... I mean, I'm not a theologian, but I don't think that person loves the Lord. Because I think that if that person loved the Lord, that he'd want to do what the Lord did. That he would want to do what Jesus is doing. That he wouldn't always want to do the opposite of what Jesus was doing. That if Jesus in that life was here, why would he want to be over here? Completely away from that. Now, don't tell me that person loves the Lord. The Lord loves that person. Now, to get a little balance, I'm not talking about somebody that says, I want to do good, but I'm not doing good. I'm struggling, you know. I, I, I'm striving after Jesus. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who they are comfortable and everybody that knows them just goes, that's who they are. Yeah, they love the Lord. That's just... That's just, oh, that's how, you ever hear somebody say, that's how I've always been? Jesus died, so you don't have to be how you've always been. To blatantly say, this person loves the Lord, but they live in absolute sin, is not true. The love of God is a response to the love we've received from Him. And when we walk away from other loves, we affirm, I'm with you, Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean we can't be saved by grace and still sinning. That's not what I'm talking about. This isn't about your salvation, but this is about your walk with God and your fruitfulness on this earth. And I'm going to tie everything that we've been talking about, about joyful living and about sin in the camp and about that shame and about what happens when we do surrender and embrace and what it looks like in our lives and in our evangelism if we can trust the Lord. 
because I do want to talk to you about loving God. It's just when I say love, I mean trust and obey. Because that's what love is. Because that's what Jesus says love is. See, when you get a relationship with a person named Jesus, sin is conquerable. When I'm not walking with the person of Jesus, I'm just doing good stuff. I'm just trying to do works. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation. No temptation. Not some temptations, not the really strong ones, not the ones you weren't on guard for. No, it says no temptation has overtaken you, but which is common to man, and God is faithful. God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. With the temptation will provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. We can walk with Jesus. We can call on that name. There's power in that. See, whatever I'm tempted by can't rule me if Jesus is ruling me. As we are obedient to him, we'll see his power at work in us. Now trust me on that. Because that's like my whole thesis statement. And I just wish you could see it. I wish you could see a glimpse. And hopefully in the end of this sermon, in, in the testimony I'm going to share, you'll see a glimpse of what hope looks like. But think for a moment. If we are obedient to him, we will see his power at work within us. We all are here. We want to see the Lord's power at work within us. In our lives, in our ministries, we want that so badly. But not at the cost of obedience. I mean, that just seems like too much to ask, right? See, if you're like me, in moments of clarity, you realize how oftentimes when the tests of life come, you don't really live as though you love God. So I want to talk about loving God the way Jesus explains it. And Jesus explains it within the context of our obedience. On the night before his crucifixion, he was teaching his disciples as part of the instruction, he says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's a matter-of-fact statement. Just comes right out. No qualification. I want to talk about obedience this morning, about trusting in the Lord instead of leaning on our own understanding. As we saw in the video, life is a series of tests. But these tests aren't primarily intellectual tests. It's not so much. Now, everything we do is, is grounded in what we know. You can't separate knowledge. But this is the test of our, of our heart. These are what I would describe as relational trust tests. Because you know that when you're in a relationship, that when you have these mini little tests that sort of test the relationship, that when you get through those things, the relationship goes stronger and stronger as you develop trust. Last week, we talked about living lives enslaved by sin and guilt. We said Achan disobeyed God. And the thing is, and I, and I, and I left, it was the last point I made last week, and I want to kind of put it in the middle of what we're talking about today. Because what did Achan think? Here's the rules. Okay, all the stuff's got to go to the treasury. Don't take any of it. Everything living's got to be destroyed. And Achan goes... Uh, you know, I can take a little bit. Who's going to miss it? I mean, really, what's the big deal? 
It doesn't even make sense. I imagine it's almost like if you're a cop and there's like a drug bust, right? And there's all this money on the table. It's like, well, you know, it came from bad stuff anyway. Where's it going to go? It's just going to get wasted. Let's take a little bit. There's millions. What does a little bit matter? What does a little bit of sin matter? If there were just a little bit of sin in our lives, Jesus would have still had to go to the cross for that little bit of sin. And here's the thing. Achan, by trying to carve out scraps, because that's what it is when we sin. We're trying to carve out scraps when the Lord's like, what are you doing? I got a banquet. Achan trying to carve out scraps, thinking the Lord was, why would the Lord try to withhold these treasures from me? Right? Why does the Lord try to withhold all these good things from us as people, right? That's the lie of the enemy that we buy into, and Achan bought into it. And the Lord said, you fool, I was testing your loyalty so I could give you so much more. Because after that battle, all the spoils were given to the people. See, in, in, in our testing, God's not, he's not asking us to do things because he needs us to. He'll use somebody else. You don't want to be used of God. Move aside. That's okay. I mean, it's not okay, but you get it. But man, when you're surrendered, when you're willing, God wants to do so much more. See, the, what I want to put in the center of what we're talking about this morning is obedience is the key to spiritual blessing. Obedience is the key to spiritual blessing. As we obey God, we develop a deeper trust and a deeper love. It's relational. If we're not always about being right with the Lord, if we don't stop and go, where am I? If we're not concerned about our spiritual health, if we're not attentive to it, if we, if we are on guard and we just don't say, ah, oh, that's just small sin, that doesn't matter, that's no big deal. Like we said last week, right, if we rest in the victories we have had, well, I mean, if you knew the guy I used to be, I mean, I'm so much better now, like Jesus is done with you. I have friends, and when I say how they're doing, they give me a list of all the stuff they're not doing. Well, dude, I mean, I'm not robbing banks, not shooting heroin, I'm not, you know, it's like, it's good. I don't want to take anything from you, but most people aren't doing that. I'm just saying, let's, uh, you know, let's raise the bar higher. I want to be an encourager, but... Anything else? I help an old lady cross the street. Give me something. <laughs> Encourage people, right? But we get comfortable with just the, you know. If Israel had been right with God, they could have prevented what had happened, right? Nowhere in the passage we said last week does it even hint that Joshua and the people of Israel sought the will of God. They stopped even asking God how to deal with the circumstance. How many times do we do that? God, I'm so, I'm so good now. I'm not even going to consult you right now. I mean, I got this spiritual thing. I've been going to church. I've been giving. I mean, the stuff I've been doing, Lord, I'll let you know if I need you for this next battle. See, if they had prayed, God would have revealed the problem before people died. If we're willing to pray to seek God with a lot of catastrophe, a lot of struggle, a lot of chaos in our lives would have been avoided if we sought God first. Instead, sometimes as Christians, what we get really comfortable doing, I mean, we figure it all out. We got the plans, we got the blueprints, we're good. And then we're just like, Jesus, you want to stamp this for me? I just need your, 
I mean, don't look at the blueprints. It doesn't matter. <laughs> don't. Just stamp this for me, please. I don't want to do what you want me to do necessarily, Lord. I want to do what I want to do. I just want to make everybody think it's serving you. Wow. I mean, nobody, nobody here. Far better to call, consult God before we make the mistake, right? Instead of expecting him over and over again to clean up our mess after. They didn't take the Ark of the Covenant into battle. That symbolizes the presence and power of God. It was a symbol to know, I am doing this with God. No, nope, that was left behind. Live the Christian life all, all on our own, on the flesh. We think we're going we're gonna to fight the flesh on our own power and we fail time after time. And so that happens, and rather than strengthening our walk with the Lord, it diminishes until we've fallen away to the point that the enemy and the world and everybody's convinced us that's what we belong, we're lost. You know how many conversations I have? I used to be part of a church, you know, I fell or whatever. Well, Jesus didn't stop working, so maybe reconsider that. See, Israel had their confidence in their own power, not the Lord. They weren't walking by faith. They were guilty in trusting what they could do using their own wisdom and intellect, making their own decisions. They didn't understand, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. They didn't understand Jesus saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me. See, the unmistakable meaning of the passage, meaning of the passage we read is, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Which means that obedience to Christ, get this, is both a sign and a test of our love for him. It's both a sign and a test of our love for him. In a very real sense, we become what we behold. We, we went down that road a long time ago. You are what you love, but you become what you behold. As we behold Jesus, our love for him increases. And with an increase in love comes an increased desire to obey. Those things can't be separated. Because we find his promises. We find abundant life for us as we obey and walk closely with him each day. People tell me all the time, but Pastor Brian, it's so hard to walk with Jesus. And I said, I know. You know, it's even harder walking without Jesus. Because life is hard. And walking with Jesus, it doesn't mean it's going to make it easier in the flesh. But oh, in the spirit, what a journey. Like, what a journey. Do you look at your life that way? And I know there's some heaviness and difficulties and struggles. And maybe you're, you're in a season and we're going to come around you and mourn and grieve. And we're going to rejoice and, and celebrate. And those are the things we do as a family. But do you see your life, this breath, do you see that as a great blessing? That you're alive, that you get to be used of God today. Not tomorrow when you get it all figured out. Not when you've, you know been coming here for long enough or not no no right now more than ever the people need to see christians behaving like jesus see the connection between love for christ and obedience to him is a recurring theme in the apostle john's writings this is how we know that we love the children of god by loving god and by carrying out his commands in fact first john 5 in fact this is love for god to keep his commands. 
just in case that one passage in isolation from Jesus was a little too, you know, in case, in case we want to reinforce this, it's all over. In the same upper room discourse, John quotes Jesus yet again. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. That means that as we trust and obey Jesus, his presence become, becomes more manifest in our lives. And then we can trust him more. And then his presence, do you see how that works? It's relational. As we go deeper. When Jesus says, whoever has my commands, is he referring to like a list of rules? You think Jesus is just saying the Ten Commandments? Because the language John uses, it's not merely to be understood as, as obeying a series of instructions. The, the word commands is, is, is a full word. It means all of his, Jesus' words and teachings, all of who he was. It means taking everything about him and following that, worshiping that, honoring that. Jesus said, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Listen to this. Because if I started and I said, don't we want God to love us and to make his home with us? We would all get like the warm and fuzzies, because that sounds like so good, right? Yeah, I want Jesus to make his home with me. Jesus replied, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching, period. Stop. And then as you do that, my Father will love them, and he will come to them, and we will make our home with them, and anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. You don't have a problem with that? Jesus is going, that comes straight from the man. Jesus is saying, these words you hear are not my own. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey my teaching. In the New Covenant, God writes his commandments on our hearts. We hear that, right? That means for the most part. This has to do not by outward circumstances. That's the way it's made manifest by our behavior. But for, for the most part, these things have to do with my inner spiritual life. Yes, it's important that we behave, but it's more important why we behave. It's the root cause that the Lord is after. It's our heart. He changes us on the inside to change us on the outside. You know, we just sang, I surrender all to you. And I mean, I have to say, like, I'm, I'm thinking as I'm singing that, if I'm honest, am I going, I surrender most to you? I like the idea of surrendering all to you. Like, you know, people say, do you want to lose weight? And I go, my wife goes, well, he likes the idea of losing weight. It's like, sure, I want to lose weight. <laughs> like, I, you know, like, but do I really? I don't know. I surrender all to you. Now, if you said, yeah, you know, I didn't, I say I surrender, I sang it, but I didn't mean it. All right, well, well what now then? Because you can either go, oh, you know, so this, you know, I'm inauthentic again or whatever. Or you can say, Lord, help me. 
Increase my faith. Help me to surrender. I can't surrender. I want to, but I can't. I don't have the power to. Cry out. Don't just leave and go, well, you know, you know, I talked about surrendering. I'm, I'm just not there yet. You know how many times I've heard people say that? I mean, don't get me wrong. I get some things are a process. Some things are not a process. You know, sometimes, yeah, you know, I want to, you know, whatever. I'm just not there yet. No, that's not, that's not how that works. Some things you, you don't get to do that. Proverbs 23, 26. My son, give me your heart and let your eyes delight in my ways. Do we trust him with that kind of love? My child, give me your heart. Do you know the stuff that he wants to show you? Do you have any idea how many times in my life, I mean, I've seen stories end badly, but you know how many times I've seen stories in my life, and I'm going to share one, but where I, I just saw chaos and pain and disorder, and just, you know, I just thought there's just no way good can come, and I've seen God do amazing, amazing miracles time and time again. Generations, you know, of, of, of abuse and addiction and bad behavior broken by the power of Jesus. The Lord is saying, give me your heart now. With whatever situation you're faced with, when your will goes against God's word. See, here's what God's looking for. It's simple. It's very simple. You want to be used of God? I'm going to clue you in. This is what he's looking for. He's looking for people who love him enough, who love him enough to obey him instead of doing their own thing. That's what he's looking for. He's looking for obedience. He's not looking for people who keep coming to him with all their plans. He's looking for people to say, Lord, what do you need me to do? Where do you need me? You know, every now and then, somebody will come to the church, and they'll have been here for like 14 seconds, and they'll say, Pastor, I'm ready to serve. I'm a leader, so I can serve as a leader right away. I can do all your finances. I can oversee. I can preach tomorrow, next week. Slow your roll there, partner. I'll talk to you, like, you know. You know what service is? You know what servanthood is? Is Hey, Pastor, well, Jesus, right, like, use me. You know, I want to get involved. Where, whatever you need, Lord. We're too busy telling little, the Lord where he should put us. Lord, when you get something that opens up, I'm going to let you know what I'm looking for, Jesus. And then when something comes my way, you know, shoot it to me. I'll take a look. No! Preach! That's right. Jesus is looking for people who say, I'm here to do whatever you want with me, whenever, wherever, and with whomever. Not, well, I'll go there, but not there. Well, I'll talk to him, but not her. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. We doing that in the church? Now, here's some encouraging news. Immediately after Jesus makes a statement, if you love me, you will keep my commands, he says this. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. 
Jesus is saying, I understand that keeping my commands in this falling in this fallen world demands the presence and the power of the Spirit. And so I'm going to leave the Spirit's presence with you. In the book of John, Jesus is encouraging us how to walk out this flow, this life he's called us into, to be sons and daughters. Listen to this, because I like, this is, the, this is what should describe our life. We should be enjoying the, the adventure while, while obeying him gladly. I read that. We should be enjoying the adventure while obeying him gladly. That's what a good Christian life looks like. Enjoying the adventure and obeying him gladly. Because I know when I make the choices, when I'm doing the one, doing the blueprints, when I'm only consulting, I'm the only expert I've consulted. And the one person that's always going to agree with me, you know, when you, you know, try to make yourself feel better and you want to ask that friend that no matter what you say, they're going to agree with you. John 15, starting in verse 9. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. You will exist. You will remain. You will dwell. You will be sourced in. You will be overflowing with my love. And the key to it is obedience. And they're interrelated because one feeds the other. Just as I kept my Father's commands and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you. That my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Remember we said we are going to bring it all full circle. We started talking about joyful living. And then we started talking about obedience. Then we started talking about sin and all this stuff. And how is it tied in? Because Jesus is saying, look, you keep my commandments. You abide in my love and your joy is going to be made full. You're going to see life as an adventure. Crazy stuff's going to happen. Of course, crazy stuff always happens. Y'all going to say, okay, nobody's in charge. Who's got the wheel? Hey, this is, you know, what's happening? But you can trust in him. We know that we know God and our desire to keep his commandments. Let me explain that. We know that we know God and our desire to keep his commandments. Follow, follow me. 1 John 2, 3. By this... We know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Now, you could read that, and you could, you could miss that. And there's a very, very deep, profound theological truth there. John is not asking the question, how do we come to know God? He is not saying, if you want to come to know God, here's how you do it, obey. He's not dealing with how one is declared righteous before God. He's not saying if you want to be justified, obey. He's not saying if you want to know God, well then obey. Here's what he is saying. Here's how you know that you know God. It's manifested in the way you live. It's manifested in your obedience. So let me, is everybody with me? You following? John is not saying we know God by keeping his commandments. He's saying we know that we know God by us keeping his commandments. Do we see the difference? 
He's not teaching salvation by obedience, but he's stating obedience is the evidence of salvation. We can't get to the place where we just say, I want to be obedient. I've never put my trust and faith in Jesus. I'm not saved. I've never had an encounter with the cross. I've never, but yeah, I'm going to obey myself into the kingdom. No, it's our desire to obey. It's that our natural desire will never be to obey God. Unless you're born again, unless you have a spiritual experience, you're never going to desire to obey God. We said last week, Jesus died for the penalty of sin, but he also died that we can have victory over the power of sin. And some of us are living out half the promise. We said no matter how small, it's rebellion against God. The saddest thing we said about Achan is he thought he wanted the spoils. He thought it wouldn't matter. And because of that, he missed God's blessing. He missed God's blessing. How many times because of our own sin do we, and by extension our families, our communities, our churches, miss on God showing up in a powerful way? You see, we need to be obedient in times of temptation and in seasons of trial. We need to faithfully live for Jesus one day, sometimes one choice, one hour at a time. God was not withholding when he said to keep the spoils. He was testing obedience. He was testing their faith, which is really testing their love. God wants to see what you and I really love. And he wants to show that to us this morning. It was a principle. It's all throughout Scripture. Be obedient. Trust God. Obedience is better than sacrifice. But instead, like with any sin, we rob ourselves and our families of the blessing God has for us. Here's the thing, though. Our hope in Christ, it leads to living with joy. And you've heard me say before, and I've said the past few weeks, that this joyful living is the source of all life-giving discipleship. It's the source of all life-giving evangelism. If you're not living centered in the joy of Christ, and you, again, you know, go back to that week. I'm not talking about, you know, a big smile and, you know, some naive utopia. No, I'm talking about the joy of the Lord. If that's not the source of your ministry, then take a break. Find your source, because if not, I don't know what you're giving out, but it ain't Jesus. We have enough Christians not giving out Jesus. The world's seen plenty of Christians that, you know, say they're Christians, and he's a Christian, he just, you know, can't trust him, you know, he's aggressive, he's violent, he just, you know, loves the Lord. See, our hope in Christ leads to living with joy. We can't be consistent all the time, inconsistent all the time, and have the peace of the joy the Lord promises. We must seek after him with all our being. That doesn't mean we're not going to fall. That doesn't mean we're not going to struggle. But that means we surround ourselves with the word of God, the spirit of God, the community of believers. That we are intentional about our journey to live for Jesus. And here's what happens when we know hope. When we have experienced God's grace and mercies firsthand, we can share authentically with others. I asked if I could share his story this morning because it's, it's 
not a pretty story, and he gave me permission. And a lot of you know Rick Fernandes. Love him like a brother. And I want to tell you the story about Rick, because when I met Rick, you know, he had been in and out of prison and in and out of rehab most of his life. Life was a mess. Struggle after struggle. Had a kid he hadn't seen since she was an infant, just, just a mess. And I saw him come through a program and then fall, and then come through the program and then fall, and go to another program. And, and we came alongside of him, because that's what you do. And so we came alongside of him, me and my, my father-in-law, and he was living with my in-laws. Because that's what we're called to do. And then one day we noticed stuff was missing. And then, you know, first you say, well, maybe, and then you know. And my first thought was, dear God, where is he? I can't imagine what he must feel like right now. The shame and the guilt. And so I called him. This guy spent half his life in jail, most of his life addicted, and now he's robbing from the people who are trying to love him in the church. And, and I can imagine the weight he must have felt, and I called him. Because life is, is about choices. Sometimes we come to a crossroads. Now, lucky for him, I was there at these crossroads. But this is what I said. You have five seconds to call me back. I know what's happened, and either I'm going to walk into the police department or I'm going to pick you up wherever you are, and I'm going to drive you to Maine, and we're going to try it again. And it was to the 30-second point, and I texted him a picture of the Mattapoisett Police Department sign, and he called me and he said, what am I supposed to say? And I said, you don't have to say anything. Just tell me where you are. Middle of the city. Looked bad. And I picked him up. And I drove him all the way to Maine Teen Challenge. I think we got there at 6 in the morning. And I didn't, I'm not here telling you that I knew that he was going to get it this time. And, and it, you know, it was, it was going to work out. And it was going to be a success story. I didn't tell my in-laws, you know, somebody said after, man, you know, I can't believe all that stuff happened. Well, when you minister, when you live out the call of Jesus, when you try to help people, it, nobody said it's not going to cost you something. We had to go to the pawn shop, and we had to pay to get our own stuff out of the pawn shop, because if we pressed charges, he'd have to go to jail, and we didn't want to do that. I'll buy a hundred radios out of a pawn shop to save a soul. Rick had a bumpy road, but eventually Rick connected with Jesus in a profound way. He connected with his daughter Taylor. They have a relationship. I want to show a picture of Rick. Rick was at my house a few days ago. Oh, Kathy, you're not on the ball? I can't imagine. <laughs> Miss Detail herself. Rick's married. He doesn't just have, he's older than me. I'm 47. Rick's 50. He doesn't just have one baby. He doesn't just have twins. He has triplets. 
when I called Rick on the phone and he had that choice to make, Rick couldn't have imagined his life would look like this. I didn't have hope in Rick. I didn't have hope in Brian. But boy, do I have hope in Jesus. So you don't have to wait to the end, to things get to the end of your life, to things get to the, you just got to get to the end of you. And if you've never gotten to the end of you, I pray, I beg you, do that this morning. Because in Luke 23, verse 39, when it says, one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save us and yourself. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? You are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man, he has done nothing wrong. And he said to him, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. You see, when you live trusting and obedient to Jesus, when you start to develop that relationship, yeah, it's a blessing for you to live out that adventure. And that's great. But that's not what it's about. It doesn't stop there. See, you get to be used of God in powerful ways. To impact your neighbors and your coworkers. There are people that you've written off that you need to prayerfully reconsider. I'm not telling you it's easy. In fact, I'm telling you it's not going to be easy. Loving people, not saying we love people, but loving people is messy and difficult and it's the hottest job in the world. But being part of a loving, Christ-centered community, loving people, what an adventure. Loving God cannot be separated from trusting Him, from walking in obedience to Him, from knowing that He has what's best for us at heart. Please stand as we close in worship this morning.
your glory it's your grace God we can trust in you father you are unchangeable Lord you are eternal our sovereign God whom loved us first father so that we can turn to you father and be obedient help us trust you God draw us to you Lord help us to walk in your ways God we praise you we love you in Jesus name amen 